Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Hello, everyone. We are going to today kind of continue on with this journey of how the brain works and stores information, how memories get stored, and kind of think about it from a lens of like stress and trauma, but also think about a lens of like storing actual information. This is the same for adults as it is for kids. Though adults' brains are a little bit more mature, don't have as many neurons and Children have a whole bunch of neurons that are getting pruned, aka that are like <laughs> dying off because they're not using them. And that's normal and that's appropriate. Otherwise, their brains would be forever crazy and chaotic. The pruning helps them to think more clearly. So we're going to talk about how does the brain work? And what I want you to understand today is how these, what we call neural connections and pruning kind of works in the brain. And then what we can do, what gets in the way of that and what we can do to help that. So your brain is A, and their brains are cauldrons of changing chemicals, electrical activity, cell growth, cell death, connectivity, and change. Everything always growing and changing. It's crazy. It's craziness. Okay, so we know that. So how do these neural networks, how do these neurons work? Okay, here's how it goes. Get ready. I'm going to say it once and then we're going to do an activity and go back and, and do it again. Some type of trigger, tr- tr- some type of trigger activates a chemical signal, electrical signal. The signal goes from the cell body of the neuron to the axon, essentially from one end to the other. And then there's a whole bunch of releasing of neurotransmitters from one axon to space between it and other neurons. This is what we call a synapse or synaptic gap. So basically there's like electrical signal that's sent down through the cell body from one side to the other, sent out into space. And then it may land in the appropriate receptor site of a nearby neuron. We call this the dendrite. So electrical signal goes through the cell body to the end, boom, out into space. And we're going to hope that another neuron picks it up and then a memory is formed because if the neuron picks it up and the two neurons connect, creates a new neural connection. And as long as it's formed and formed correctly, not a false positive, then we're good to go. And the more that we are re-exposed to that thing, that trigger, that memory, that learning, it gets stronger, it improves, it myelinates. Okay, so what I'm gonna ask you to do is stand up while you're listening to this. No matter where you are, 
And if you're in a car, you can kind of like wiggle your body. I'm going to ask you to act this out while I tell the story of how neural networks work. (laughs) Okay. So electrical signal is triggered by something in the environment. Boom. Electrical signal comes into your body. The signal goes from the cell body. So basically from one side to the other. So just pretend that signal is floating through your body, maybe from your feet all the way up to your hands because your hands are really good um, synapses. And then the release of neurotransmitters from the end of the axon, aka from your hands, go into space. You can like flick your hands up into space. And we're hoping that it connects to another neuron, aka the dendrite. So now you can like spin around and become the other neuron. And now your hands are the dendrites. Grab that thing. Hold on to it really tight. And then we're going to do that again because we're re-exposing it and we're solidifying it and we're myelinating it. So electrical signal comes in, travels from your feet to your hands, fling it up into space, turn around and become the dendrite, grab it out of space. You've created a new neural connection. That's how we learn. (laughs) Okay. Why does all this matter? Because we want neurons to wire and fire together. And the more that we re-expose the learning or the topic or the thing, this this is why when we're teaching young kids something new, they don't typically get it right away. Like behavioral changes, especially because things get in the way of those, those memories being stored and working correctly. They need to learn them and see them over and over and over again. So that that neural connection gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And the stronger it gets, the bigger it is, the better it's stored, the more it works. Interesting, isn't it? Okay. So how can we help young students with these neural connections? How can we help improve them? How can we make sure there are more neural connections? How can we make sure that they're not misfiring and miswiring together? I'm going to give you a list. Are you ready? Read to them. It's a mindfulness activity. It slows them down. It gets the brain prepared. Read. Give them free white space in their day to discover and learn on their own. Limit TV, because TV has, especially in today's world and young kids shows, like many changing scenes really rapidly and that's not good for wiring and firing. Makes the brain very chaotic and it's already very chaotic. Teach rhyming games in the alphabet. Kids like rhyming, brains like repetition, all goes well together. Avoid toys with batteries. Why? Because they usually make noises. They light up, lots of different colors, too much stimulation. We're trying to reduce stimulation at this age because there's already a lot of stimulation in the brain. (laughs) Provide simple toys that encourage imagination. Talk, ask questions, connect, build attachments. Teach problem solving. Definitely teach emotional regulation and provide lots of activities for social connection. Those are kids two through five. Think like preschool age. Okay, what about kids in school age? Well, let's break this up into two groups because that's like five through 20 year olds. (laughs) So let's talk about elementary and middle. What can we do? One, know that the brain has a bazillion, billions actually, of neurons. And some are going to prune. They're going to die off. That's okay. We, We want that. That makes everything work a little bit better in the brain. But there are two big periods where this happens, two big growth spurts. And you'll see a lot of emotional maturity and intellectual maturity at these ages, around six, seven, and around 11, 12. And then things get real wild wild and weird in teens. 
Okay. So what's growing in, the, in these periods of time? What, what is, what are you going to see? You're going to see things like reasoning becoming better cause and effect, abstract feelings, things like ideas of honesty and liberty and freedom and hope. What can you do for this age group? Music exposure. It's very regulated. Unless it's really chaotic, really wild music, then it's not so regulating. <laughs> new classmates, new groupings, social grouping, social outings, events that can connect these beings because they start to really need a sense of belonging here. Give them free choice and autonomy around clothing. Not total freedom, but some. Movement-based classrooms, activity in classrooms, not so much just sitting still and exploring their neighborhood and community, community and getting connected. What about teens? Well, first of all, you should know that teens have really crazy, bizarre behavior. Why? Because there is a rapid and massive change in the brain. Pruning, so much learning. It's almost like a toddler's brain. <laughs> Think about like a toddler, how interesting, curious they are in things. Teens are kind of the same, except they're becoming really specific about those things. But same-ish thing happening. It's not just hormones. So many cells are connecting during this time and they're firing all over the place and things are firing and missing and firing and wiring. And <laughs> because there's so much growth and it's so explosive and it's so wild and there's so many choices, the brain becomes paralyzed by inefficiency. This is not working on all cylinders. So kids become unstable. They become volatile. They become unpredictable. They have a hard time regulating their emotions. It's all normal. What can we do? For the teen age group, try and give short, sweet, one-step directions or activities. Too many things when their brain's firing all over the place, not going to work well. Give very concrete and realistic models. Coach them. Don't patronize them. Treat them like more of an equal. Understand and get curious rather than judge. Definitely don't tell them how they feel. Validate how they think they feel. Be clear about the dangers of things because they're not going to register them very well. Make sure we talk about the importance of sleep and try to help them get as much sleep as possible. They need it for their brains. You can tell them why they need it for their brains, what's happening in there. And last but not least, cut them some slack because their brains are making really erratic, wild and silly decisions. Okay. What gets in the way or what will improve? These pruning periods, these neural connections, the myelination, sleep, getting the right amount of sleep. Also having enough white space, having enough freedom of mind, time, and space to do things that you enjoy to just rest your brain and body. Not having too much homework. This is really important for these, these particular students who are in school. Homework takes a lot of time. If you have four hours of homework and you have after-school activities and you have school and you have dinner, not time to do anything else. Homework should be like an hour a day, two hours max. And it should serve a good purpose. It should be of high quality, not just assigned to assign. Food and water play a big part in how well these things work together, how well the brain neurons fire and wire together. We need healthy proteins. We need unsaturated fats. We need complex carbs. We need certain healthy sugars. The more we eat of things that are the opposite of that, like processed foods, not high quality proteins that are injected with goodness knows what, 
and refined sugars, artificial sugars, the brain doesn't wire and fire as well together because the brain has to digest those things and make sense of them because they're so unnatural. We need to make sure that we're eating enough, kids especially, because if not, then their blood sugar drops and that affects their memory system. We need to make sure we have enough protein so that we can last throughout the day. We need to make sure that we have enough minerals, elements, and vitamins. We should get those levels tested. One way to combat this is to give them really healthy, good snacks. What are healthy, good snacks? All the things they don't want. Veggies, veggie sticks, dehydrated veggies, fresh fruit, dried fruit, healthy yogurts, rice cakes, raisins, popcorns that are healthy. All those things help the brain function and fire together. And having enough water, half your body weight in ounces every single day. Those are just a few things that we can do for ourselves as individuals and students as students and kids. All right. I don't want to go too much into that or talk too long about it because that was very sciencey. But those are just a few things that could help neurons fire and wire together and students retain information and listen better. And those are a few things that might get in the way things that we can do to help them. That takes us to today's listener question, which is how will I know that a student is too stressed out to learn? One, ask them. <laughs> they probably know. And if they don't know, a good thing to do is to look or notice signs of like unusual behavior for that particular student or a group of students. The other thing I'll do is a temperature check. I'll teach them about emotional states and energetic states. And I'll teach them what it feels like to be um, like too stressed, too anxious, or just unfocused. And throughout the day, we'll do a temperature check. Check in with yourself. Where are you? If you need to do something to get regulated, go choose that thing, go do that thing, and then come back when you are ready. Let's, as a whole group, do something to get regulated. So I'm always and frequently and regularly doing temperature checks, whether I'm just peering across the group and doing my own check, or I'm asking them to check in with me and themselves. Those are the quickest, easiest things to do when you are working with kids who you think are stressed and reality is kids are stressed. So are we, we're all stressed. So doing things to change emotional states to get them out of a stressed out state, even if they're scheduled breaks, it's going to help and benefit them. To wrap up the show, we're going to talk about our tried at home tip, which is sobriety. It sounds like a really negative word because we associate sobriety with having a problem with alcohol. But the way I want to talk about it here is just reducing, minimizing, or completely stopping your intake of alcohol. Why? Because that's one of the major things that gets in the way of your brain's wiring and firing, of your ability to sleep and rest and be healthy and be well and for everything to function. So does a drink every now and then harm you? It's not necessarily healthy for you, but it's not going to kill you. But if you want to be an optimal version of yourself and you want to feel healthier and think clearer, alcohol does have some negative effects on things like your gut health your skin, your liver, if you remove it, drink very little of it or replace it with something that is not alcohol, like a seltzer or carbonated water, or even like a mocktail that doesn't have too many <laughs> fake sugars in it. Then I think if you go six, eight, 12 weeks, you'll notice that your brain is a little bit more present. You're a little less grumpy. You're a little bit less stressed because alcohol does have an impact on us. And societally, we drink a lot of it and it's encouraged and it's a part of many people's lives. So giving yourself just an opportunity to see what your body feels like when it's not on it. What I do <laughs> in place of alcohol is I drink 
an electrolyte drink called LMNT, Element. It um, They have lots of different flavors and it just mixes with water and it sounds a little weird when you read about what exactly it is, but I think it tastes pretty good. And it's a flavored drink and it's a healthy drink. So that's what I drink instead of choosing to drink alcohol. That's not to say that on a rare special occasion, I won't have a glass of wine or something to celebrate, but I'm mindful of, I'm not drinking to bypass feelings or to kind of come down from intense emotion or a stressful day. If I am drinking something, it is to be for a celebration or because I desire to taste that actual thing. Travel is a time period when I might have a glass of wine because if there's a wine region, I'm curious about the process and the terroir and all of those things. That's a conscious choice to use and have periodically, but not as a resource to get emotionally regulated. So just be mindful of all of that. That is it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Don't forget our try it at home tip. Try reducing or diminishing completely your intake of alcohol. And if you are looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior, and the brain, I would love to be part of that learning journey. The Behavior Hub, which is the organization I created to work with schools and families and humans around all those things, offers coaching, online courses, group training programs. To learn more about any of this stuff, hop on to our website, thebehaviorhub.com, and shoot me a message. Don't forget to lock in what you learned today by teaching it to someone else, sharing it with someone else, maybe even teaching your kids it. You can really um, scaffold it down and teach them by having them act it out. And it's good for them to know these things. They understand how their brain works. So I challenge you to do that today. And until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thank you for joining me. Thank you.